0: This morning's first reading comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. This can be found on page 983 of your Bibles and on the screens in front of you. That's Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second reading can be, is taken from Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 to 18 and can be found on page 1178 of the church Bibles beside you. or on the screen in front. So starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you, for all of you. I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here For the defence of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Irina and Steve, thank you for those uh, two readings. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open at the book of Philippians? We're going to be digging into that this morning. Well, good morning, and especially if you're new, let me introduce myself. My name is Jit, or Jitesh, and I'm the associate vicar here. It's my great privilege this morning to be kicking off our series that's going to run all the way through to Christmas, looking at this particular letter, the letter of Philippians. We're going to be working through it systematically, bit by bit, and we've given the series a title, and the title is The Christ-Centered Life. And I hope that by the end of this morning, we'll see exactly why that title is so fit for this letter. It's a letter that was written 2,000 years ago or so by the Apostle Paul, but it is as relevant today as it was then. Before we dig into it, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, thank you for the gift of your word, that by it you have spoken clearly, and we pray that we might hear your voice afresh today, this morning, through this letter. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin with a true story of an English bishop who has once tried to merge two rural parishes into one parish, two churches to be under the same rector. Same vicar. And he repeatedly tried to merge these two churches to come under the same vicar. And they repeatedly said, no, we do not want this. They completely refused. And finally, he got to the end of his wits, and he went to one of the churches and asked the question, you've told me many reasons why you don't want to merge, but none seem very convincing. Tell me, what is your real reason? And one older member of the congregation (laughs) replied, well, Bishop, if you really want to know, they didn't tell us the Danes were coming. And he's referring to the fact that a thousand years earlier, one of the villages had seen from their hundred-foot tower an invasion fleet of Danish ships coming towards the coastland, but had forgotten, or on purpose, not told the next-door village. And that next-door village came under serious violence and the memory of that had lasted for a thousand years and even to that day, those two villages didn't like each other. Memory can be a very powerful thing, both for harm but also sometimes for good. The famous hymn writer John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, very famously said at the end of his life, my memory is nearly gone but there are two things that I remember. I remember that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. What a wonderful memory to have at the end of your life. Well, the reason I wanted to start with that is because the letter of Philippians is Paul's last letter, we think, in the New Testament. And he's writing as an old man on death row in Rome. He's about to die. And he's writing to a church that he planted earlier in his ministry, a church that he's prayed for and cared for, and a church he's now writing one last letter to. And he wants to leave them with one single enduring memory. That will stay with them, that will affect them for their continuing walk. And that memory is of one person and one person alone. The person of Jesus Christ. That when this letter was read out, as we're going to be reading out over the next few weeks, it wouldn't have been Paul's name that was left ringing in their ears. It would have been Christ's name. And we're going to be looking and hoping and praying that as we leave this place every week over the next few weeks, it will be Christ's name that rings in our ears and sounds in our hearts. And there are two very simple things that I'm going to draw out today From this letter, about what would have been remembered and what we should remember about Jesus Christ. And the first one is this Remember Christ's centrality, that he is central to everything. It's interesting that in this letter, the name Christ is mentioned 35 times in four short chapters. It's more frequent than any other of Paul's letters. And reading through, and I can encourage you to do this at home as we do this this term, everything that Paul writes and says is either in reference to Christ or takes its cue from him. It's interesting that in our reading today you can see this very clearly. Verse 1, look at it. He introduces himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Then verse 2, he wishes them grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in his thanksgiving and prayer, He gives thanks to them and prays that God would carry on the good work he'd started in them until the day of Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, he says that he gives thanks and expresses his longing for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verses 10 and 11, he says that he's praying for them to be pure and blameless until the day of Christ for order of the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And then he moves on to his present circumstances that aren't great, that he's in prison, but he says that I'm in chains for Christ. And then he says three times that he's just glad, whatever is going on, that Christ is being preached. And he says in his imprisonment, in verse 19, that he's being helped by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 18 times actually in this first chapter, Paul speaks about Christ. He says that he's central to it all. The New Testament commentator Gerald Hawthorne writes the following When Paul wrote Philippians, perhaps near the end of his career, he still stressed the overwhelming and life shattering importance of Christ. One might say that Paul was obsessed with Christ because for him, Christ was everything. The centrality of Jesus Christ in the universe, the world, and in an individual's life vibrates through the letter to the Philippians. You could call it a Christ-drenched letter, every single page dripping with his name. They're like all the spokes of the world converging on one Paul, they all converge on him. All of Paul's thoughts, desires, and passions, all of his teaching, all of his encouragement, all of his praying, just find their focus on him, on Jesus Christ. And in doing this, Paul is writing for them his last will and testament, his legacy of all that he said to them, of all that he's ever encouraged them in. And he says, if you're going to remember one thing, remember Christ and remember how important he is, how central he is to it all in your faith, in your walk, in your discipleship. It's him and him alone. The evangelist J. John often quips that if you take Christ out of Christian, you're left with Ian, and Ian can't help you. <laughs> bit of a, a funny side that he uses, but makes a very profound point, that in our very names as Christians, in the Christian faith, it's about Christ, no one else. But he he's to be central in it all. In another one of his last letters, to his spiritual son Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, he says, Remember, jesus christ risen from the dead the offspring of david as preached in my gospel he's saying to his his son that he never had as a physical son but a spiritual son if you're going to remember one thing remember him remember what i told you about him don't let that leave you remember jesus christ keep the main thing the main thing keep the main person the main person it's him Tim Keller is a profound New York-based pastor and preacher, probably one of the best in the world in this generation. And he speaks in a recent sermon that's online of how he came to Christ, how he first started to follow Jesus. It's a very interesting story. He was at a Christian youth camp, and he was there with other Christian youth. And he was hearing from a female evangelist called Bonnie Boyd, which is quite a name, And she was sharing the following illustration that changed him. She said this, If the distance between the Earth and the sun, 92 million miles, was reduced to the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance between the Earth and the nearest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. And the diameter of the galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high that's how big the galaxy is and yet the galaxy is nothing but a speck of dust virtually in the whole universe and the bible says jesus christ holds this universe together with the word of his power his pinky as it were and then she asked the question is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant of course not of course not he got the point he's to be central he's to be lord he's to be king not an assistant, not on the edge, not on the periphery of the Christian faith. Front and center, it's him. For us, we can all too easily make the mistake that Christ is there alongside of us as a helper and a guide, which is true. He's the good shepherd. That Christ is there before us, going forward, laying out our future and our destiny. Or he's there behind us, encouraging us, which is true as well. But first and foremost, he is to be center on the throne in our lives everything takes its cue from him every part of life finds its focus in him a christ centered life well that's the first thing that i wanted to draw out from this letter this wonderful letter that we're looking at this term the second is that they would have been left having read this letter remembering christ's magnificence you see in order to have christ at that center place of our lives One needs to see his greatness, his magnificence, that he blasts everything else out of the water. Saint Ignatius, a Christian saint of old, said this, apart from Christ, let nothing else dazzle you. There are so many things in life that could dazzle you with their greatness, with their magnificence, with how impressive they look and sound. But apart from Christ, let none of that dazzle you. See how wonderful he is. See how great and magnificent he is. And that's what we see throughout this letter. Probably the easiest place to see this, preeminently, is in the great Christ hymn of Philippians 2, which we're going to look at in a few weeks, where Paul just breaks out in an ancient hymn of praise, one of two in his letters, about how wonderful what Christ has done is. Let me read it again. Many of us know this very well. He says about Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place. In the pagan world of the time, no one would have known a God who actually cared about them personally. And certainly no one would have known a God who loved them enough to become one of them. And no one would have known a God who loved them so much that he would die for them, a criminal's death on a cross. But this is Jesus. This is what he's done. This is who he is. And seeing this changes everything. It shatters complacency. It blows away the dust of old religion and makes him first in our lives brings them to that central place. A few years ago, there was a BBC documentary series called Everyman. Anyone ever used to watch that? A few people, probably. And they had an episode called How to Get to Heaven in Montana, which sounds quite intriguing. It was investigating the life of a Christian Hutterite community in the United States of America in the state of Montana, which was very similar to the strict Amish, or Amish, if you know that particular people group. And the pastor of this particular group had died, and the children had, in their terms, gone wild. They went into town and dared to drink alcohol. They even visited the cinema. And worst of all, some of them claimed to have been born again. But at one point in the documentary, they questioned the leader of this new group, this new generation, who was the pastor's son, And they ask him, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? And in a very moving moment, his eyes fill with tears and he says, Jesus, he is beautiful. He is my everything. He is my magnificent obsession. Really understanding and seeing who Jesus is changes everything. It breaks the chains of law and religion. It gets rid of stuff that's gone in the past that you may have accumulated over the years. And it makes you see him for who he is afresh and brings a vibrancy and dynamism and a freedom to life like none other. Coming back to our letter for Paul, this wasn't just seeing Jesus' magnificence past tense in what he'd done at the cross and in his resurrection. But also it was very much a present tense thing, his own experience of Christ since. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be looking at Philippians 3, where Paul shares his personal testimony about his life, that once he was a Pharisee, once he was one of the elite of elites, treasuring the law and religious status. But meeting Jesus changed everything. He found real treasure in life. And he became passionate about this one person. And he writes a very well-known verse, in 3 verse 8, he says, I consider everything... A loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, All all the letters after my name, all the accolades, all the stuff that I've engineered and striven to accumulate as man's praise in my life, it's all just rubbish. It's nothing compared to knowing Jesus, to having a living, lasting, loving relationship with Him that is open for all. That changes everything. My experience of Him, of how wonderful He is, how faithful He is, how true He is, surpasses any other experience. And let me say to you here today that if you don't know Him, let me tell you, He will surpass anything you've ever experienced. If you don't know him personally, he's there knocking on the door and saying, I want in. I want you to experience this as well. Sadhu Sundar Singh is the name of an apostolic Indian Christian from the 20th century, uh, from my home country. And he came to Christ out of a Sikh background. And when he did, he experienced great persecution Uh, His family rejected him. He was beaten up by the village elders. He was cast out of the family home, never allowed to return. And yet, Christ was with him. And he directed him and he empowered him. And he became a witness for Christ all over northern India, seeing thousands of churches planted and lives affected and changed and won for Christ. And later in his life, he was invited uh, to this country to a conference on comparative religion in the great university city of Cambridge. Not quite as good as Oxford, but um, we won't hold that against them. And there he was asked questions about his personal experience with the Christian faith, having come out of a Sikh background. And in one buffet dinner, a, a professor sided up to him and asked him the following question. Tell me, looking back... What have you found in Christianity that you did not find in your old religion? And he replied, Professor, I found the dear Lord Jesus. And the professor replied, Oh yes, I quite understand, but what particular principle or doctrine? Tell me, what new philosophy have you found in Christianity that you did not find in your old religion? And again he replied, Professor, I found the dear Lord Jesus. It's just him. There were no other extras that had to win him over. There were no other extra teachings, philosophies, or ideas and worldviews. It was just finding Jesus. It was just seeing who he is that changed everything, that made him able to endure that persecution, made him a burning witness. It was just him, seeing him, knowing him. And I'm going to end what we're looking at today by showing a couple of pictures as to how this might become more true for us here as a church. Um, A couple of illustrations that actually both come from the world of art. And the first is an event that happened between the two great Renaissance painters, Raphael and Michelangelo. For those of you that think they're Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's true as well, but they were painters first. First. And Raphael had painted a stunning portrait of Christ in his studio. And he invited the master artist of the time, Michelangelo, to come and see it, to make his comments on this portrait of Christ. And it's recorded that Michelangelo came up to the painting, dipped a paintbrush in a pot of paint, and just wrote over it, defacing it, Amplius, which simply means in Latin, bigger. It needed to be bigger. He needed to have a bigger vision of who Christ is. That like when you're watching the trailers at the cinema, for the main event, the, the, wide, the curtains widen and you get a bigger view of what's going on. you saying, you just need to have a bigger view of Christ. See him as a bigger saviour, a bigger Lord. See more of who he is. And that might be prayer for some of us. And I hope that as we go through this letter, we'll see Christ as bigger in our view in our field of gaze. And the second is a story told by Donald Coggan, who is a former Archbishop of Canterbury. He tells the story of a sculptor who once sculpted an amazing statue of Christ this time and became nationally famous. And people came from great distances to see it. It showed Christ in all his tenderness, his glory, his strength, his majesty. And when they came, they would walk around this statue... Try to grasp its magnificence. They would look at it from all these different angles. Yet actually, they couldn't quite work out why it becomes so famous. Its grandeur eluded them, whatever angle they chose, until they consulted the sculptor himself. And he said the following, There is only one angle from which this statue can be truly seen. You must kneel. And for us, if we're to see Christ, if we're to see how wonderful he is, if we'd have him at that center place in our lives, we must kneel, we must bow the knee to him, to say, Lord, would you show me yourself? Would you make more of yourself and less of me? Would I see you afresh as my Lord and King, my Savior and my everything? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the witness of Paul at the end of his life, speaking of Christ so clearly. Thank you that Paul and many of us have found the Lord Jesus to be magnificent, glorious, and wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here in this very place. And I pray for each one of us that we would see you as bigger, as greater than before, We bow our knees before you. We ask that you would come and take that center place afresh. Help us to see you. And over the next weeks, as we read through this letter, reveal yourself to us afresh, we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing together, Mighty to Save. Please stand.